This archived broadcast of Janet Meffer Today is brought to you by Liberty HealthShare. Liberty HealthShare is a nonprofit healthcare sharing ministry that allows you to control and manage your own healthcare and choose any doctor or hospital in the nation. If you're a freedom-loving American looking for contract-free healthcare, call now, 855-585-4237, or go to libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT for more information, libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. This is Janet Mefford Today. Our confidence is in Christ alone. Are we going to stand with God come what may? If the Word of God says it, I believe it! That's the way it is. And now, here is Janet Mefford. Welcome, everybody. It was nice to see President Biden finally cut his vacation short in order to address the American public and indeed the entire world on the monumental debacle that is Afghanistan. And after he came out of hiding, reading the teleprompter for a few minutes, he immediately went back to Camp David. Jen Psaki, his White House press secretary, decided this would be a great week to continue to enjoy her vacation. How is any of this acceptable? Everybody knows what's going on. Everybody knows he's hiding. They brought him out long enough that he could get through, kind of get through the teleprompter reading and then get rid of him again, put him back into hiding. And I guess they're going to have some emergency meetings behind the scenes. What do we do? What do we say? What do we do? What do we say? There's nothing you can do and there's nothing you can say. What needs to happen is Biden needs to resign. And not just for one reason, for a lot of reasons, not the least of which is he is demonstrating day after day after day before a watching world that America is weak, that America doesn't know what it's doing, that America is disorganized, that America doesn't have its act together. Do you think this is a good time in world history? Not that there has ever been a good time in world history to look weak, but right now when we have China threatening us, Russia threatening us, Iran threatening us, the Taliban and Al-Qaeda now threatening us. People are now talking about the possibility of another 9-11. You want to go through that again? I don't think anybody in New York or Pennsylvania or Washington, D.C., the people at the Pentagon, the people who suffered, the families left behind, all of those people who were murdered by those Islamic terrorists some 20 years ago want to go through that again. Nobody wants to go through that again. I just can't believe my eyes sometimes. I can't believe it. I keep having to go back to the theme of God's judgment. I just do. And I think there are many Christians who are recognizing there is something very spiritual going on here that is not just a matter of a late stage republic falling apart that that has happened in history before. It's more than that. It's been suicide, and I don't have time to get into all of the reasons why I think that that's the case, but it's suicide. It's been a Romans 1 suicide by this country, because think about this. Everything that people knew about Joe Biden for 40 years was on the table before they ever elected him, and I still am of the belief that he wasn't probably elected legitimately. I'm going to go that far without getting into all the details, but I certainly don't believe that it was even feasible to see the sizes of the crowds that came out excited for Donald Trump versus the two or three people they paid to show up to social distanced events for Joe Biden in which he was completely incoherent. We're supposed to believe he had 80 million votes. No way. I don't believe it for a moment. But he did have enough votes that people actually cop to voting for him, although more and more are saying they regret regret it. I wish it would be millions of people saying they regret it. What's to like at this point? What is to like about the presidency of this man? 
I don't know. Let's go to some of what he had to say yesterday when he finally teleprompter read for a few minutes to talk about the disaster that is the fall of Afghanistan to the Taliban. Listen to cut one. I'm now the fourth American president to preside over war in Afghanistan, two Democrats and two Republicans. I will not pass this responsibly on responsibility on to a fifth president. I will not mislead the American people by claiming that just a little more time in Afghanistan will make all the difference. Nor will I shrink from my share of responsibility for where we are today and how we must move forward from here. I am president of the United States of America and the buck stops with me. Oh, brother. First of all, let's get to the point that needs to be made here. A couple of different points. One of the points that needs to be made here is when he talks about not wanting to hand off this responsibility to a fifth president because two Republicans and two Democrats already have had to deal with Afghanistan. Uh, let's just remember that you were vice president under one of those presidents. He doesn't want to talk about that. But it isn't about whether or not the United States should have troops on the ground in Afghanistan for the rest of human history. I think there are many people on both sides of the aisle who would like to get out of Afghanistan. And that's the reason and that Trump was so adamant about trying to get out of Afghanistan. But that's not what the criticism is about. And President Biden knows this. The criticism is about how horribly you executed this entire plan. It was awful from beginning to end. Now we're learning there were intelligence community officials who advised against what happened and Biden just overrode those pieces of advice from the intelligence community. It's a debacle. It's a complete train wreck. It's more than that. How in the world can you watch that plane taking off with people clinging to the sides of it, knowing that when that plane went into the air, people fell off to their deaths and they preferred that route of exit to staying put in a Taliban-led Afghanistan? You don't think there was a better way to have pulled the troops out, securing the ability of the Afghan forces to defend themselves? No, because he spent a lot of time during the course of his several minutes long speech going after the Afghans. It's the Afghans' fault. Listen to this. Cut two. I've learned the hard way. I stand squarely behind my decision. After 20 years, I've learned the hard way that there was never a good time to withdraw U.S. forces. That's why we're still there. We were clear-eyed about the risk. We planned for every contingency, but I always promised the American people that I will be straight with you. The truth is, this did unfold more quickly than we had anticipated. So what's happened? Afghanistan political leaders gave up and fled the country. The Afghan military collapsed sometime without trying to fight. If anything, the developments of the past week reinforced that ending U.S. military involvement in Afghanistan now was the right decision. Unbelievable. The buck stops with him, which is why he blames Trump and he blames the Afghan forces and he blames the Afghan government and he blames the Afghan people because the buck stops with him, folks. That didn't sound like a buck stops with me speech to me, but he goes on. Listen to cut three. American troops cannot and should not be fighting in a war and dying in a war that Afghan forces are not willing to fight for themselves. 
We spent over a trillion dollars. We trained and equipped an Afghan military force with some 300,000 strong, incredibly well equipped, a force larger in size than the militaries of many of our NATO allies. We gave them every tool they could need. We paid their salaries, provided for the maintenance of their Air Force, something the Taliban doesn't have. Taliban does not have an Air Force. We provided close air support. We gave them every chance to determine their own future. We could not provide them was the will to fight for that future. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. This is the same guy who said back in the beginning of July that there was no reason to believe that the Taliban takeover of Afghanistan would be inevitable. No chance of that. No, it's going to be fine. Everything's going to be fine. You're certainly not going to see any helicopters making evacuations. It's going to be nothing like the fall of Saigon in 1975. Nothing at all like it. Well, people who are not even super conservative are pointing out this is way worse than Saigon. This is way worse than Saigon and what happened back then. And that was bad enough. This was worse. And when he tries to deflect this whole argument of, you know, there's no good time to pull out. Well, yes, but there's a bad time to pull out. There's a bad time to pull the troops out. You don't pull out unless you have an accomplishable mission and you have people who are left behind who are going to be able to take up the reins. In fact, there was a story over in... Uh, It it was on CNBC, actually, back in July, and it was talking about the fact that the U.S. withdrawal from Afghanistan was more than 90 percent complete at that time. More than 90 percent of the troops and the equipment were taken out of Afghanistan. Well, how in the world do you expect the Afghan forces to defend themselves against the Taliban when most of the equipment is gone, as well as the troops? And now we have all this equipment having fallen into the hands of the Taliban. Oh, but the book stops with me. Well, there's a lot more to say. We're going to take a short pause. We'll be right back. Hi, I'm Kevin Sorbo. I wanted to invite you to offer your full support for the Ministry of Preborn and its leader, Dan Steiner. The team at Preborn is very focused and very successful at saving preborn babies from abortion. Now get ready to write down the phone number and the website so you can join the Preborn team. Join Kevin Sorbo and me, Janet Mefford, as we support Preborn. The mission at Preborn is to supply pregnancy centers throughout America with sonograms. Ultrasounds are a game changer when it comes to saving babies' lives. You see, when an abortion-minded woman sees her baby on ultrasound and hears the heartbeat, she's 80% more likely to keep her baby. Your gift of $140 will cover the cost of five ultrasounds. All donations are tax deductible. You can help save a baby's life by donating to Preborn. To donate, call now, 855-402-BABY. That's 855-402-BABY. 855-402-2229. Or there's a banner to click at JanetMefford.com. Ask yourself, what do you pay for health care? Are you single? Do you pay more than $199 a month? Are you a couple? Do you pay more than $299 a month? Do you have a family? Do you pay more than $399 a month? 
Yes, you can serve the entire family with health care for only $399 a month with Liberty HealthShare. Liberty HealthShare is a nonprofit ministry, not insurance. So your money goes toward helping other members with their eligible medical expenses. And in your time of need, other members are there for you too. You can feel good knowing you're part of a community of like-minded individuals. Sign up at any time of the year. Pick your own doctor and hospital. Find out more at libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. That's libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. Or call now, 855-565-2561. That's 855-565-2561 or libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. You're listening to Janet Mefford today. And now, here's Janet. I just want to play one little short clip of Jake Tapper over on CNN reacting to President Biden's speech. Listen to cut four. He did not really get into or accept any blame for the catastrophic exit that we have been watching on television in the last several days. Yeah, well, I'm glad to hear CNN admitting that. It's amazing when CNN, when you lose CNN I don't know what you have left as a leftist. I know that's a lot of you know, reiteration of the word left. But when you're a liberal, when you're a progressive and you lose CNN, things are looking pretty bleak for you. I want to play this cut, too. This was also from CNN. And they start out with these comments from National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan. This guy was just unbelievable. And at the end, you have to listen to what Jim Shuto, the anchor, had to say. Again, keep in mind, this is CNN. This is Cut 6. What the president kept saying over and over again was that it was not inevitable that Kabul would fall, and it was not inevitable. There was the capacity to stand up and resist. That capacity didn't happen. Now, the president prepared for every possible contingency, including this one. The reason that there are U.S. forces at the airport effectuating a successful drawdown of our embassy, uh, securing the airport to be able to get other people out, is because the president pre-positioned those forces, thousands of them, in the Gulf so they could be moved in rapidly in the event that there was a rapid collapse. Now, the White House has also shifted part of the blame uh, to the situations, uh, saying that there was a lack of will among Afghan security forces and also saying that their hands were essentially tied by deals made under the Trump administration. But the execution of this withdrawal, the scenes that we have seen playing out over the course of the past 24 hours are something that will be tied to the current president. Biden has continued to receive updates while he's at Camp David. But the question now is how soon he will address this directly as commander-in-chief to the American people. I mean, to hear Jake Sullivan call this the successful drawdown of the U.S. Embassy there, his words, I, I, I mean, is almost comical, right? I mean, I don't see how anybody could call that a successful drawdown, given the circumstances we're seeing there. CNN, folks. This is CNN. When you lose CNN, I don't know who's left to stand with you, except for people who are desperately trying to lie to you and act as if they're not lying to you. It's just politics as usual, I suppose. Afghanistan fell to the Taliban. Afghanistan fell to the Taliban. People were jumping on the sides of an airplane to escape. Now there are reports about these Taliban fighters outside people's homes. They're going door to door. They're raping women. They're forcing women to become wives to the Taliban fighters. All kinds of horrors are emerging. Beheadings and executions and everything you would expect that would happen once terrorists take over your country. Now, 
Over on MSNBC, you may be heartwarmed to know that they interviewed a Taliban spokesman because it's important at a time like this to get the terrorist perspective. I, I'm sorry. I just I'm just absolutely flabbergasted at this particular cut. You got to listen to this. This is cut five. All right. Joining us now is Suhail Shaheen, an English spokesperson for the Taliban. He is part of their delegation in Qatar and was involved in negotiations uh, with the United States. Mr. Shaheen, the Afghan ambassador says the Taliban is carrying out mass executions of military personnel and targeted killings of civilians in Kandahar and Kabul. Our reporter in Kabul also says that he is hearing similar reports. What is your response to these allegations that your forces are committing these atrocities? These allegations are totally baseless, totally wrong. They are the propaganda spread by our opponents to, uh, in order to mislead the opinion of the world against us. Terrific. Thank you so much, Mr. Shaheen, for coming on MSNBC and giving us the Taliban's perspective. Right. So we're hearing all of these allegations, Mr. Shaheen, that the Taliban is going door to door searching for U.S. sympathizers. What do you have to say to these allegations, Mr. Shaheen? Oh, they're totally baseless. And it's just the Americans seeking to mislead the opinion of the world against us. Thank you, Mr. Shaheen. It's wonderful to get your perspective. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? They're interviewing the... T- yes, this is this is American journalism. I, it's just amazing to me. Now, let's go back to this point that I think is very important for people to understand. And that is the flip-flopping. We already know about Biden's flip-flopping from July 8th till now, where he said, it's just not inevitable that the Taliban will take over and we're not going to worry about any helicopter evacuations and everything's cool and the Afghan forces are going to take over and everything's great. Now we have... Biden saying yesterday, mm, it's the Afghan forces fault. Oh, it's Trump's fault, too. It's Trump's fault. because There's nothing I could do about it. I inherited a deal from Trump. Yeah, well, you scuttled everything else that Trump did when he was president pretty much on day one. You know, the open border. That's going to be fun watching who comes across the open border, who later attacks us, because we already know for years there have been various and sundry evil people coming across the border and finding relief here among the American people. And that's been discussed for many, many years. But National Review has this piece and they're talking about the White House Deputy Press Secretary Chris Meager citing the rapidity and ease of the Taliban's advance as proof that Biden made the right decision by pulling U.S. troops from Afghanistan. Over the course of the last week, of course, we have seen the Taliban taking the capital of Kabul and all the rest. They say as the situation on the ground deteriorates rapidly, the Biden administration's reason for leaving appears to be transforming from the Afghanis are ready to lead to the Afghanis will never be ready to lead. Did you notice that flip flop? Biden and prominent members of his administration have for months been making the case that the U.S. could finally leave after two decades in country because the Afghan government had the capability to hold off the Taliban without U.S. support. Now in the White House is telling it is the Afghan military's failure to do just that which justifies U.S. withdrawal. Talking points that went out. Two Democrats by the White House conceded that the administration knew there was a distinct possibility that Kabul would fall to the Taliban, but continue to maintain that it was not an inevitability. The speed with which it fell is further proof that Biden made the right decision in pulling out. This is the talking points statement. (laughs) 
asked in July if Taliban rule was inevitable. We remember Biden said, no, it is not, and asserted the Afghan troops have 300,000 well-equipped, as well-equipped as any army in the world, and an air force against something like 75,000 Taliban. It's not inevitable. Then he turns around in yesterday's speech and blames it on the Afghans, while also trying to make the American people believe that the buck stops with him. 80 million votes, folks. 80 million votes. Here's something else that's very interesting to me. Robert Spencer, the director of Jihad Watch, who well understands all of these things that are going on in the Middle East, put up a a very interesting post from a tech guy, Preston Byrne. I've never heard of the guy, but he writes about tech issues. And apparently the Taliban was using WhatsApp to appeal to the Afghans and the United States never monitored communications or asked Facebook to ban them. Might that be a very important piece of the puzzle here? This is what he said. Conventionally, the U.S. did everything right and installed a government, equipped and trained an army with four times the Taliban's manpower and air force and top of the line American military material. And even now is apparently flying against Taliban targets. But everywhere the Taliban is in control. And what happened? I do know enough about the war, he said, to know that when the Taliban went toe-to-toe with American and NATO soldiers, the Taliban lost basically every single time. But they tried something different this time around. Open source reporting shows that rather than rocking up and going toe-to-toe with the Afghan National Army, they appear to have simply called everyone in the entire country instead and told them they were in control and began assuming the functions of government as they went. And there are some tweets here saying things like the Taliban have announced WhatsApp numbers for surrendering police, soldiers, and officials of the Kabul administration can call this number and save their future. So they're using WhatsApp. They're using WhatsApp. Why in the world didn't the United States hone in on this? Not sure. He goes on to say the fact that WhatsApp is so good that it beats any homegrown communications alternative isn't a new phenomenon. The New York Times talked about the use of the app by both groups of belligerents in detail. WhatsApp has unique benefits in the fight against the Taliban, who also rely on the app to update their superiors and check in with their fighters. The battle has become a war of small, quick tactical gains, a district here, a village there. Okay, well, what happened? He said, what I think has not been considered enough is the degree to which WhatsApp direct messages were a strategic blind spot for the United States. The fog of war obviously makes it impossible to know what's happening on the ground in Afghanistan. Recalling, however, that the U.S.'s longtime strategy for crippling an opponent begins with decapitation strikes on radar and communications infrastructure. It's fairly obvious to anyone that as far as the Taliban were concerned, this never took place. The Taliban sets up a government fairly expeditiously. Its propaganda circulates on Twitter in plain view. And people were pointing this out over the weekend. Why is it that the former president of the United States got kicked off Twitter, but the Taliban can tweet freely? Can we have another hearing? Maybe we can pull some big tech guys in front of congressmen so they can scream and get their faces on television and nothing will be done. The Taliban are thus free and have been free for a number of years, he writes, to take their fight not to American soldiers, where they always lose, but directly to the hearts and minds of the Afghan people, all using free-to-use American internet infrastructure like Facebook and Twitter, where they have now won. WhatsApp is an American product. It can be switched off by its parent, Facebook Inc., at any time and for any reason. And the fact that the Taliban were able to use it at all, quite apart from the fact that they continue to use it to coordinate their activities, even now as American citizens' lives are imperiled by the Taliban advance, which is being coordinated on that app, 
suggests that U.S. military intelligence never bothered to monitor Taliban numbers and never bothered to ask Facebook to ban them. And what will happen to Christians? What will happen to Christians there? Pray for your brothers and sisters there because they're in grave, grave danger. It is a very scary situation on the ground. One mayor, a female mayor, said, I'm just waiting for the Taliban to hunt me down and kill me. Can you imagine being in that situation? But for God's people, it's even more dire because these terrorists, they hate Christians, that's for sure. So pray, pray, pray for our family in Christ over in the Middle East. You're listening to Janet Mefford today. This archived broadcast of Janet Meffer Today is brought to you by Liberty HealthShare. Liberty HealthShare is a nonprofit healthcare sharing ministry that allows you to control and manage your own healthcare and choose any doctor or hospital in the nation. If you're a freedom-loving American looking for contract-free healthcare, call now, 855-585-4237, or go to libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT for more information, libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. This is Janet Mefford Today, and now, here's your host, Janet Mefford. The situation in Afghanistan continues to grow worse, and it's not lost on Americans that all of it is occurring as we approach the 20th anniversary of the 9-11 Islamic terrorist attacks on our nation. How can we view all of this through a scriptural lens? Well, on September 10th and 11th, Chosen People Ministries, in partnership with Alliance for the Peace of Jerusalem, will be co-hosting an event. It will be called 9-11 and the New Middle East. It will both honor the 9-11 victims and survivors and also take a biblical look at current events in Israel and the Middle East and what an appropriate time to do so. We're going to talk more about it all today with Dr. Mitch Glazer, president of Chosen People Ministries. Mitch, thank you so much for joining us. It's wonderful to talk to you. Thank you, Janet. I'm really delighted you're having me on. Well, thank you. What are your thoughts? It seems we are seeing a new worse Middle East emerging, at least in the country of Afghanistan. What are your thoughts on what's unfolding over there right now? Well, here you go. Here's here's going to be an original comment. The Middle East is very complex. Yes. <laughs> yes, it is. Yes, it by, is. By its very nature. I, I, I think that um, one of the things that we learned on 9-11, on 9/11 is that the West and the Middle East have a very, very different mentality about everything. Right. And so, for example, um, the Middle East is very tribal. The United States is not tribal in the same way. I'm a Jewish believer in Jesus, so I understand tribalism a little bit more, maybe. Right, right. <laughs> but, but you can't, you can't Im- easily impose a different kind of system on people that, are, that just have a totally different worldview. And so what we're seeing probably uh, is what's been consistent with Afghanistan and other areas in post the post-colonial Middle East, where you have tribal, uh, regional. I mean, they, the the countries didn't even exist at one time. You know, you know, the West basically carved out the maps, and so basically you have uh, a tribal situation. And you know, I think democracy is great. I think my 
my grandparents fled Far East Russia and uh, Poland and, you know, came to the land of freedom, the golden land, the Jewish people call it. And, you know, it's great. But, you know, will democracy ultimately work without Western enforcement in the Middle East? Well, um, I don't know. You know, I mean, you had Russia, you had France and Afghanistan, you had Russia and Afghanistan, you have the U.S. and Afghanistan. And I think if there's one thing that we've learned as Americans and as evangelicals is that we need to uh, we need to turn our prayers in a slightly different way. And we need to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Mm. And I think on 9-11, we learned uh, that uh, there were going to be countries in the world that if they didn't if they didn't get what they wanted, they were going to do some serious damage. And we see that in Israel all the time. Yeah, you sure do. And and it's interesting, your upcoming event is, is going to be very timely, uh, especially with what we're oh, seeing. Boy. Yeah, boy, it couldn't have been better timing. And a lot of people out in the media right now, Mitch, are talking about, uh, wow, this is ironic that all of this is coming apart in Afghanistan and the Taliban is rising back up right as we're about to celebrate the 20th anniversary, not celebrate, but commemorate oh, the, the, the 20th anniversary of 9-11. I mean, what does this tell you about what we maybe have failed to learn in the past 20 years? Well, you know, Janet, I was there. Uh, One of the reasons we're doing this conference is because it affected so many of us very deeply. And as a believer in Jesus, and of course, as a Jewish person, uh, I was was heavily impacted by by 9-11. I live in what we call the Holy Land West, Brooklyn, New York, you know? Right. And the wind was blowing the wrong way from Manhattan. And I couldn't escape 9-11 literally for months. And it deeply impacted me. And I think it impacted a lot of others, realizing that our sacred shores are not far away from terrorism. Mm -hmm. And I think we really tried, you know, to, to, to put a stop to it. But you know, Afghanistan has proved throughout all these years that it has a different worldview and a different mentality, and they may not have a big army, but they'll do what they can to get what they want. And I think, you know, we're in the we're in a, a very kind of a kosher pickle, you know, yeah. on on how to deal with uh, with the future. Well, it's not easy for sure. I, I was looking at the Jerusalem Post and, and there was a comment from a veteran diplomat in Israel who said the USA is our closest ally. They have been there for Israel time and again over the years, but the horrific events in Afghanistan must be a hard, scary lesson about changing interests and cold, hard calculations. Dangerously in 2021, self-reliance is more important than ever. Do you see this as any indication that Israel may be looking at this situation and saying, boy, we really shouldn't count that much on the United States at this point in time. And how does that shift things for the Jewish people to maybe feel a little off kilter about whether or not America will be as reliable an ally as maybe it has been in the past? What what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, great insight and great question. I think it's all over the Jewish newspapers, both in Israel and, and in the United States. And it's the go-it-alone mentality now for Israel. And, uh, and I don't think it's really, uh, I mean, 
Israel's been through a lot of administrations in the United States. And, you know, initially when Israel became a nation, and Truman was one of the first to recognize Israel on behalf of the United States. I mean, that made a huge difference. And all that we've done for Israel over the years has, has made a big difference. But Israel's in the Middle East, and the Middle East doesn't operate like the West. Um, let me tell you why. Number one, patience in the Middle East is very different than patience in the West. Mm. Patience in the Middle East is, you know, 15 minutes waiting, you know, in the Middle East, you could be waiting 20, 30, 40 years. Yeah. So patience is very, very different. And, um, and obviously the Taliban were as strong as ever. They were waiting it out. Well, that doesn't surprise any of us in right. the Middle East, that's the way they operate. Sure. And then, right. And so, um, Maybe Israel's become a little bit um, more like the Middle East than the West. Hmm. It's been a, a long couple of generations since 1948, really. And a lot of the leaders in Israel are now younger. And they were raised in Israel. And they were they're probably more influenced by the Middle East than most Americans hmm. would understand it. Mm-hmm. And so they're very patient. The second thing about the Middle East that we've learned very, very clearly is a concept of revenge. As Christians, you know, we have this, you know, revenge is mine, save the Lord, we're, we're, we're quicker to forgive. I mean, it's a real difference in us because we're believers. Yeah, and yeah. But revenge, my gosh, that's nurtured in the Middle East. Mm. And we're getting a full dose of it. So here's what I think. I think that Israel's in a better, op- a better position, with or without U.S. dependence, Israel is in a better position to withstand the pressure of those who are their enemies in the Middle East. We now have more friends, obviously, but who knows what's under the surface, right? Right. But right now we have some more friends. But Israel, well, um, do I think that the Jewish people have learned a little bit more about Middle Eastern revenge? Absolutely. Do I think that Israel's going to be more patient? Absolutely. And, you know, Israel was created after the Holocaust. I mean, it, I mean, not biblically or theologically, but it really grew out of the ashes of the Holocaust. Yes. And Israel's got nowhere to go. Hmm. And so every fight is a fight to the death. And that's a little bit of a Middle Eastern thing also. That's true. But every fight's a fight to the death. I wouldn't, pick, I, w- I wouldn't want Israel as an enemy. I agree with that. I really agree with that. Well, we're going to take a short break. When we come back, I'm going to talk with Mitch Glazer, president of Chosen People Ministries, about this upcoming event, 9-11 in the New Middle East. Stay with us. You're listening to Janet Meffer today. Many people in developing nations have no access to desperately needed medical care. That's why Mercy Ships brings volunteers aboard our hospital ship, the Africa Mercy, to give the world's forgotten poor the free medical care they need. We have an immediate need for registered nurses, especially with a pediatric specialty. As a volunteer nurse, you won't just give life-altering health care, you'll receive so much in return. 
It's an amazingly rewarding experience. You'll give hope and make a difference in the lives of those who have virtually no access to medical aid. It's such a fantastic thing to do. Everybody who I've met on this ship either wants to come back and do it again or they're already here for the second, third, or tenth time. So what are you waiting for? Show mercy to someone today. I would say go for it. Get more information and learn how to apply by visiting mercyships.org forward slash nurses. That's mercyships.org forward slash nurses. Ask yourself, what do you pay for health care? Are you single? Do you pay more than $199 a month? Are you a couple? Do you pay more than $299 a month? Do you have a family? Do you pay more than $399 a month? Yes, you can serve the entire family with health care for only $399 a month with Liberty HealthShare. Liberty HealthShare is a nonprofit ministry, not insurance. So your money goes toward helping other members with their eligible medical expenses. And in your time of need, other members are there for you too. You can feel good knowing you're part of a community of like-minded individuals. Sign up at any time of the year. Pick your own doctor and hospital. Find out more at libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. That's libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. Or call now, 855-565-2561. That's 855-565-2561 or libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. You're listening to Janet Mefford today. And now, here's Janet. Well, many, many people have been talking about the fact that we are on the cusp of the 20th anniversary of the 9-11 attacks. I can't believe it's been that many years, but boy, it went fast and it's just a horrible memory for all of us. And yet here we are with Afghanistan being taken over by the Taliban and there's all kinds of turmoil going on in the United States. This is just adding to the pile. But Mitch Glazer is with us, president of Chosen People Ministries, and he, together with the Alliance for the Peace of Jerusalem, will be putting on an event on September 10th and 11th in New York City at Trinity Baptist Church. It's called 9-11 and the New Middle East. Mitch, tell us a little bit about this event and what kinds of things you're going to be discussing, some of the speakers. Let people know a little bit about what you're you're planning for September 10th and 11th. Sure, Janet. Thank you. Um, we're going to have, uh, it's going to be a hybrid event, first of all. So people can come either in person or they can come and join us online. And, uh, and so... Either way, uh, you're going to get uh, most of the same uh, material. So uh, Anne Graham Lotz, who is a lover of, of Zion and a prayer warrior for Israel, will be preaching on prayer, praying for the peace of Jerusalem. And she's an anointed speaker. I, I'm sure you've heard her. And oh, yes. She's just wonderful. And so she'll be coming in by video. We'll also be having Marty Getz and his daughter, Misha, Misha and um, I hear that Marty's written a new hymn, actually, Great. to give some attention to the heroes of 9-11. Nice. And uh, I can't wait to hear it. And so Marty will be leading the worship. We'll actually be have, we're lighting the Sabbath candles and the memorial candles on Friday night, and we'll be praying with some folks, believers, who lost loved ones in 9-11, and we want to give, give some honor to these folks as well. well. Good. Good, And then we've got... Uh, Yep. Then we've got uh, Joel Rosenberg, I'm sure you know. Yep. And Joel is going to also be coming in by, by video. And Joel has a new book coming out on the Middle East, nonfiction. And then, uh, so we're going to interview, I'm interviewing Joel, and we will show that video, both in person and online. 
And then we have Daryl Bach, who's professor of New Testament at Dallas Theological Seminary, uh, has a lot of experience in ministry to both Palestinian and Jewish Israeli leaders, and he's going to be talking about the future of the church in the Middle East. That's something you're not going to get from the Wall Street Journal or the New York Times or anything else. And so that's going to be very important because with these new relationships uh, with the Gulf states and now even Morocco and who knows, Saudi Arabia, with these new relationships, the, the overarching climate of peace might lead to more authentic fellowship between Israeli, Jewish and Arab former Muslim believers. I pray for that, Janet. I really do. Mm. And then we're going to look to the future with Dr. Michael Rodelnik, who's who does the Bible Answer Program for uh, Moody. And uh, Michael uh, will be speaking on on the future of the Middle East. Then we're going to have Tom and Joanne Doyle, who are part of Uncharted Ministries. They're going to emcee, and Tom and Joanne have extraordinary experience working in Israel and throughout the Middle East. And you'll even have to hear from me. And people (laughs) always say, how many times have you been to Israel? (laughs) And I laugh. You know, yeah. and uh, hundreds. And so, if you ate it all up. And so then then we're going to have, um, and this I'm very excited about, because there are some hidden heroes that haven't been honored properly, and the 20th anniversary, I think, is the time to do it. So we have FBI agents who spent their, spent six months in the pit, they called it, mm-hmm. uh, digging out evidence. And a lot of those folks have died already from various cancers and diseases. They, they are real heroes. Yes. And one of our staff members was one of those people, a Jewish believer, who, who's going to give her testimony. And then the oral surgeon who identified uh, the bodies through identifying the teeth. And uh, he's going to be there. We're going to have the leaders of Billy Graham's uh, and Samaritan's Purse rapid uh, rapid um, uh, relief uh, group, and they did a lot at 9-11. They were a blessing. So were the Southern Baptists, and, and so the leader of the Southern Baptist Relief Agency is going to be there. I remember I remember both these guys from joining us on the ground after 9-11, and they did so much, and what a wonderful testimony. We're going to honor them, some local pastors, and a whole lot more. So it's going to be really a focus on the 20th anniversary, honoring those who serve faithfully, and uh, then we're also going to uh, speak to the situation in the Middle East. And through it all, I hope that people will see the backstory, and the backstory is what God did through the tragedy. And we have a lot of people who are on the ground, who were there, who went through it, who will be able to talk about that. Well, it's going to be a really powerful event. Where can people find out more? I know your website, chosenpeople.com, will probably have information. Is there another website people can check out if they'd there like is. to attend? Yes. There is, Janet. Thank you. 9-11, the conference. So the actual number is 9-11theconference.com. Perfect. So 9-11theconference.com. And what? they can register okay. uh, in person or online. And... Uh, we, we think we're going to have quite a few people uh, in person at Trinity Baptist Church. 
And, of course, we'll have more people online because not everybody can travel with. Sure, sure, in this day and age. Well, this is interesting. When you were talking a little earlier, Mitch, about how 9-11 impacted you, and you're talking about the need for us to, as the Bible says, to pray for the peace of Jerusalem, and you're looking at the new Middle East. You're kind of putting all of these pieces together. What would you say about how to interpret all of this from a biblical perspective, when you're looking at what's unfolding and who knows what tomorrow will bring in the Middle East, but we know what the Bible says about what is to come and the return of Jesus. And and this always seems to bring Christians back to a point of wanting to return to the word of God and the prophecy and what we understand about the last days. What are What is your overall perspective? Where are you keeping your attention in these days when you are using a scriptural lens to look at the new Middle East? Yeah, that's exactly, we're on the same page on that one, uh, for sure. I think that we need to see what the Bible says about the future of Israel. God can't make a covenant that he breaks. And God is powerful enough to keep his word. And so if if the Bible says through all the prophets, and through Jesus, our greatest prophet, if the Bible says that Israel will be back in the land and that the Jewish people will turn and repent and come to know Jesus, and then Jesus will return. We just don't know the hour or day that that's going to happen. So when people say to me, what do you think about the future of the Middle East? I say, well, I know one country that will be there. (laughs) Yes. You know, yes. And it's one of the, and it's one of the small ones, you know, it's, it's going to be there. And of course, there are some great prophecies in Isaiah about, I'll leave that to Michael Rodelnik, but there's some great prophecies about how, um, actually, uh, the Arab nations, some of the Arab nations in Israel will walk arm in arm down the, down the road in the kingdom. And so I think that there's a bright future uh, for peace uh, in the Middle East. We might have to wait for it. <laughs> but I also think that there's some things we can do now. You know, in Romans eleven eleven, Paul says, they didn't stumble so as to fall, did they may never be, but by their transgression, salvation has come to the Gentiles to make them jealous. And for 127 years, Chosen People Ministries has been making Jewish people jealous and encouraging Gentile believers to take this mandate seriously, to make Jewish people jealous. And I think that love always works, and the more you can show love to your Jewish friend, by being pro-Israel, by telling them you're praying for Israel, by opposing anti-Semitism, by caring about their lives. I think that's a powerful, powerful witness. And so I think in a sense, I hope this doesn't sound too strange, but in a sense, as, as Christians, we have, we don't know when the end's coming, but we have a role to play. Mm-hmm. You know, there's, there's stuff we can do. I'm not saying we're going to change God's mind and make Jesus come back any earlier than he intended, but we, but we have a role to play, and that role is sharing the gospel to the Jew first and also to the Gentile. Right. I'm so naive. I think that Jesus is still the answer to peace in the Middle East, <laughs> but I've seen it. Yeah. I've seen it. Yeah. When Jews and Arabs who are enemies come to know Christ, they love each other, they pray with each other, and it's transforming. Well, amen to what you just said, Mitch. The, the the gospel of Jesus Christ continues to be proclaimed throughout the world, and we need to take that commission seriously that Jesus gave, especially in light of what's going on in the Middle East right now. Well, I want to shout out your website again, 9-11theconference.com. If you'd like to get more information or register, 9-11 in the New Middle East is the upcoming conference, September 10th and 11th. 
Trinity Baptist Church in New York City. Mitch Glazer will be there along with a host of other great Christian speakers. And it's going to be a wonderful commemoration of a very somber but day that God will honor in people's lives as he always is able to create good things from tragedy. Mitch, thank you so much for what you do. It was wonderful to have you here. God bless you. Thank you, Janet. Shalom. Thank you so much. Thanks for joining us on Janet Meffer today. We appreciate you listening and we'll see you next time.